open up your Bible to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. That should be on page 825 in most of the seat Bibles, if you're using those Bibles. Galatians 4, 4 to 7. We'll be looking at that passage together a little bit later on. When I lived in Budapest, Hungary, in my 20s, I often battled loneliness. When you're single and you're a missionary, that's not uncommon. We didn't have reliable phones at the time or cars. We relied on public transportation, and so it was hard to make plans to get together with one another. And because most of the people I knew were teachers like I was, and we were new, inexperienced teachers at that, our day jobs were fairly all-consuming. Every night it seemed like we had lessons to plan for the next day. We had tons of assignments to grade. And and so life was exhausting. And even though we needed companionship and we needed relationship, we didn't have a lot of energy or ability to make it happen. I I did have a a few friends who I felt had community with one another. And I was kind of jealous and I felt a bit on the outside looking in. Two of them were younger women who lived together, who I, I really enjoyed a lot. i Uh, was pretty close with one of them. She had a boyfriend who I liked a lot too. And the other one that she lived with uh, who was single was fun to be around. She seemed to be really great. I actually sort of asked her on a date one time. But I wasn't regularly really a part of these three people's lives, though I very much would have liked to have been. You can imagine the joy then when one time they said to me, hey, during the school break, we're all going on vacation together for a few days at the beach, and we want you to come along. I was thrilled. I had been invited in. And that feeling, that invitation, is what I want us to experience this morning. Because if we really understand the aspect of God that we're going to look at this morning, then that's got to be our experience. The experience of being invited into relationship and into community. This aspect of God is the Trinity. We're continuing our series this morning on the attributes of God, and today we focus on what is often the most confusing, the most esoteric, the most misunderstood aspect of God. I mean, what do you know about the Trinity? What's been your experience with this Christian doctrine? Maybe you learned about it in Sunday school. I remember a teacher explaining to me, to our class, that God was three, but God was also one. And I was like, boy, math is really different in church. Because in my school, my teacher says that one is one, and three is three, and three is greater than one, but three does not equal one. It never equals one. But in church, somehow three can equal one. And the teacher trotted out as an explanation the the three-leaf clover, one leaf with three lobes, and the triangle, one shape with three sides, and water, one substance, and yet uh, three um, states, uh, ice, water, and gas, steam, right? But but it never quite made sense to me. It, It never quite added up. And so I just concluded with, well, I don't get that. Okay, God is three, God is one, it's some weird religious mystery, let's move on. The doctrine of the Trinity can seem confusing, complicated, impractical, 
And so we might wonder why in the world the early church spent hundreds of years hammering it out in councils and making heretics of those who didn't agree with what they came up with. The Trinity, like what's the big deal? Does the doctrine of the Trinity really matter? I mean, the word Trinity isn't even in the Bible. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that the Trinity does matter and that the Trinity is actually very interesting, very relevant, very inspiring. How could the living God be otherwise? Because in the Trinity is an amazing invitation. An invitation even greater than my three friends gave me in my loneliness when they invited me to go with them to be a part of their community on vacation. It's an invitation into the very life, the very heart, the very relationships, the very love, which is God. Well, to get started, if the clover and the triangle and the three states of water don't quite cut it as analogies, what image should we use to get our minds around how God could be three in one? Well, the one that I find most helpful, I've shared it with you before, which the church has actually been using for millennia, is the image of a dance. Listen to how Eugene Peterson describes it. Imagine a folk dance, a round dance, with three partners in each set. The music starts up and the partners holding hands begin moving in a circle. On signal from the caller, they release hands, they change partners, they weave in and out, swinging first one and then the other. The tempo increases, the partners move more swiftly with and between and among one another, swinging and twirling, embracing and releasing, holding on and letting go. These are practiced and skillful dancers. To the onlooker, the movements are so swift that it's impossible at times to distinguish one person from another. The steps are so intricate that it is difficult to anticipate the actual configurations as they appear. The essence of the Trinity, the centerpiece of Christian theology, and sometimes considered the most subtle and abstruse of all doctrines, is captured here in a picture that anyone can observe in an American neighborhood, barn dance, or an Irish Cayley. The Trinity, the inner life of God, is like a dance. A dance of relationship. There is love. There is community. There is intimacy. There is embrace as each father, son, and spirit celebrate the others with love, with affection, with honor, with delight. And so great is the intimacy of the three, so deep and complete are their relationships and their union that the three are actually also one. How could this be? How could three be so intimately connected that they're also one? Well, have you ever had a soulmate or a kindred spirit? Someone you you connected with so well and so deeply that it was like sometimes you knew their words before they said them. And and they could almost read your mind. And being with them touched you in your deepest places and made you feel completely alive and made you feel more yourself than you knew you were. And at times it felt like you were one with them. Well, that begins to point us in the right direction. Or maybe you've never experienced that yourself, but, but you've longed for it. Or like I did, you, you've encountered a, a couple or a family or a group of friends, and, and you looked at their relationships, and, 
and you were drawn to the love that they had with each other. They had fun together. Their friendships were rich and caring and considerate, and you were attracted to it. And you thought, man, I want to be part of a group like that. I want to have what they have. Well, that's just the smallest glimpse of what Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoy with each other all the time. Because at the heart of the universe is a community. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches us that the heart of God, the living God, that the God of the universe is ultimately relational. Now, where do we see this in the Bible? Because as I mentioned, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, and you won't find much clear evidence for the Trinity in the Old Testament. And in fact, I think it's safe to say that Jesus' own first followers didn't believe in the Trinity until well after Jesus' death and resurrection. The Trinity wasn't some doctrine that Jesus taught them that they had to affirm in order to follow him. No, the Trinity was rather an utterly surprising and yet inescapable conclusion that they eventually reached from reflecting on what God had revealed about himself to them through the coming of Jesus Christ. Further, it was an inescapable conclusion of what they experienced from the Holy Spirit coming among them. After all, they were all good Jews. Just about every day of their lives, they had repeated the affirmation from Deuteronomy 6 that all Jews repeat, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. God is one. God is high and holy, lifted up in the highest heaven. But then, this man, Jesus Christ, comes into their lives, forgiving sins, calming storms, two things that only God could do. Jesus taught with authority, giving them commands as if when he spoke, God spoke. Further, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed that he and God were one. That he had come from the Father and that he would be returning to the Father. But how could this be? God was one up in heaven. How could God be right here too? And yet in Jesus, God had been right here with them. That was unmistakable. They had experienced it. They believed it. And then as Jesus had had prepared to leave them, he promised to give them another counselor. His own spirit, his father's own spirit. And soon after, at Pentecost, they received this spirit. And when they did, they knew that Jesus was back with them again in a new way. That God was back with them again, as God had been with them in Jesus. But again, how could this be? God was the one God, the invisible, the untouchable one in heaven How could Jesus be God? How could the Spirit be God? And yet, they were God too. How could all three be God when there was only one God? The answer, God is a trinity. The Father is God. The Son is God. And the Spirit is God. God is three, but the three are one. One God. The theologians put it this way. God is one essence, but God is three persons. 
And so God is just as much three as God is one, and God is just as much one as God is three. It's not that God is one person who wears three costumes or who reveals himself in three ways at different points in history. No, the Son is not just the Father with a different mask on or or in a different form or as a different avatar. Rather, the Son is a unique person Unique from the Father, and yet the two, because the two have a relationship with one another. And the Spirit is unique too from the other two. But on the other hand, Father, Son, and Spirit are not three separate people who just have great teamwork, who cooperate so well that they're really close. No, it's more than that. The three are one being. God is not just a triple they, and God is not just a single he. No, in some mysterious way that we cannot experience as human beings, God is both. As theologian J.I. Packer put it so succinctly, he is they, and they are he. (laughs) And when the theologians have have tried to understand or describe how this can be, as we've seen, they've built on the analogy of a dance. It's not a perfect analogy because three dancers are way more three than they are one. And a dance is not as real a thing as persons are. But at least a dance captures the relationships and the dynamic and the love and the joy and the celebration, which is the Trinity. Theologians use the old Greek word parakoresis, parakoresis, to further build on this. This word expresses the idea of three orbits or three revolving circles moving in and out of one another, penetrating, overlapping one another, sharing sameness and oneness, and unity, and yet also circling out and maintaining distinction, too. Again, like a dance, you can't capture this with one static image. It's dynamic, it's moving, it's relational. And here's the best thing about this dance. We are invited into it. In the Trinity is an incredible invitation into the dance of God's love. Specifically, and it's, it's an invitation for the Spirit to bring us into the relationship that the Son enjoys with the Father. Let me say that again in a slightly different way. The Spirit brings us into the Son's relationship with the Father. In other words, the dance that the Trinity involves isn't just a heavenly dance. It's not just God up there by himself enjoying being God. No, it's a dance which wonder of wonders comes down to us and invites us into it. Let's take a look at our passage this morning and we'll see this worked out in in greater detail. Let me read the verses again because it describes the Trinity in action. But when the set time had fully come, God, there's the Father, sent his Son, there's the Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit, there's the Spirit, the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba. Father. Abba, Father, as we'll see, that phrase describes the Son's relationship with the Father. God sent the Spirit into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. 
Through the Spirit, we are brought into the Son's relationship with the Father. Wow, this is good news. This is the Trinity coming down to embrace us, to invite us in. So let's take a look at what this passage is telling us. To start with, the Father loves us. So he sent his only beloved Son, who also loves us, and came to save us. Through the Son's work on the cross, they forgive all of our sins. They reconcile us to themselves. And then not only that, but wonder of wonders, they also adopt us as children into their family. They invite us in. And to seal the deal and to to make this possible in our experience, they then give us the Spirit. Through the Spirit, God actually comes and dwells in our hearts And in so doing, we come to dwell in God's heart. More specifically, we come to enjoy, we come to participate in the relationship that the Son enjoys with the Father. That's what this phrase, Abba, Father, means. Because where have we heard this word Abba before? It's Aramaic for Papa, by the way. We've only heard it one other place in Scripture, on the lips of Jesus. Abba is Jesus' word for the Father. It's what Jesus called the Father when he prayed to him in the Garden of Gethsemane in that most intimate and vulnerable moment. And the Spirit that God has sent into our hearts, the Spirit of the Son, cries out, Abba, Father, too, in us. What does this mean? It means that the Spirit is bringing us into the Son's relationship with the Father. Let me say it again in a slightly different way. Through the Spirit, we are brought into the Son's relationship with the Father. Through the Spirit, we are brought into the Son's prayers to the Father. Through the Spirit, we are brought into the Son's delight of and intimacy with the Father. Through the Spirit, we are brought into the Son's obedience to the Father. Through the Spirit, we are invited into the amazing relationship, the amazing community, which is the Trinity. Through the Spirit, we are invited into the dance. Wow. As a friend and mentor of mine, Daryl Johnson, likes to put it, the Father's heart is open wide, and you are welcome to come in. The Father's heart is open wide, and we are welcome to come in. How do we come in? Through the Son, Jesus Christ, by putting our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, and then receiving the forgiveness of sins that he offers to reconcile us to God and to adopt us as children into the Father's family. And then we come in further through the Spirit. As the Spirit brings us into the Son's relationship with the Father, as the Spirit enables us to enjoy and to share in the communion and the intimacy that the Son shares with the Father, His Abba Father. Through the Spirit, we enjoy being sons and daughters of God because the Spirit enables us to enjoy and to experience what the Son experiences in being a son of God, His Father. We have been invited into the dance, into the embrace, into the love, into the delight, the intimacy, the celebration, 
God's heart is open wide, and we are welcome to come in. That's a reason to get to know God. That's a reason to pray. That's a reason to meditate on Scripture. That's a reason to worship. And when we feel like we're not doing a good enough job at these things on our own, we can relax. Because the Son is praying. The Son is worshiping. The Son is loving the Father perfectly. And through the Spirit, we are invited into that. And so where we are weak and where we fail, we can get out of the way and we can rest in the fact that the Son is doing it perfectly. We can rest on the Spirit and and let Him join our feeble prayers and our inadequate worship with that of the Son to the Father. As Paul puts it in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us with wordless groans. What an invitation. Well, how do we make all this? How do we make the Trinity practical? our own lives. At the center of the universe, there is a dance going on, and we have been invited into it. At the center of the universe is a relationship, a community full of love, full of joy, full of life, full of celebration, and we have been invited into it. The Father's heart is open wide, and we have been invited in But we receive a lot of other invitations too, don't we? Invitations into other relationships. Invitations to open bank accounts. To receive credit cards with lower interest rates. Invitations to purchase new cars. Invitations to join organizations and activities. Invitations to buy into timeshares. The list goes on. And many of these are are far more tangible and more immediate than the invitation to join some cosmic dance. And we've already accepted many of these other invitations. And many of them are good things. But as they've piled up, they have crowded out and eclipsed the one great invitation. And and here's the thing about these other invitations. They're, They're kind of like potato chips when you're a kid. The flavor is simple and compelling. It's not an acquired taste. It's not subtle or or complex like an exquisite cuisine. No, it's just basic flavors that make your taste buds pop. Salt, starch, fat. The, The satisfaction's immediate, right? But the satisfaction doesn't last. And it's not much of a diet to live off of. And that's the way a lot of these other invitations are. Compelling, giving us an immediate rush of pleasure or satisfaction or comfort, but short-lived and unreliable and not healthy in the long run. And meanwhile, the dance that today's passage invites us into is not always immediate. Sometimes it's an acquired taste. Sometimes it's hard to pin down in our experience. Like all real relationships, it requires effort. It requires patience. It challenges us. It uncovers us. It requires us to grow. I once had a professor who was also a professional therapist, and he did a lot of marriage counseling. 
And he confided to, to us as students one time, he said, I'm sick and tired of married couples coming to me and telling me they want more intimacy in their marriage. He said, they think they want more intimacy, but they don't really want more intimacy. They already have exactly the level of intimacy that they want. Because getting more intimacy would require being more vulnerable and working through more conflict and likely experiencing more hurt and disappointment. And they don't want this. And that's why they've settled for a cool, distant relationship. They've got as much intimacy as they really want. And that's what we do with God. We are being offered more More intimacy, more community, more love. But these things are hard work. They will challenge us. They will threaten us. They will uncover and humble us. They will stretch us and disappoint us and grow us. And some of us have as much of that as we want. Thank you very much. Please pass the potato chips. When our family lived in Vancouver, we had a few friends that we'd go out to dinner with periodically, and there were some good restaurants in our area, some great entrees that we'd try and enjoy. But there was one woman, one of our friends, who always ordered mac and cheese. It was safe. It was predictable. She liked it. You see, as a child, she'd never learned to expand her palate to try new things. And so as a 30-plus-year-old, she was still eating mac and cheese. And the rest of us loved her. She was a really awesome person, but we sort of felt sorry for her too because she was missing out. But what she was doing is what we do with God too often. It's where we wind up in our souls because of all the other potato chip mac and cheese invitations that we're accepting, that we have accepted. C.S. Lewis once put it this way. He said, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. In his book, Desiring God, John Piper adds, we've settled for a home, a family, a few friends, a job, a television, a microwave oven, an occasional night out, a yearly vacation, We've accustomed ourselves to such meager, short-lived pleasures that our capacity for joy has shriveled. Yet we have been created for so much more. God is offering us so much more. In the Trinity, we are being invited in to so much more. Are you hungry for more? Can you hear the invitation? As we close in prayer, I want to invite you to respond in three possible ways this morning. Um, I'm going to pray, and I invite you to pray along to any of these three. 
that you relate to and that you want to make your own prayer this morning. First, dear God, I'm sorry for the ways that I have prioritized other invitations instead of your invitation. My life, my heart has become cluttered with them and I am sorry. Please forgive me. Please help me to clear them out and to make room for you. Second, God, I want to receive your invitation. I choose to receive your son, Jesus, who died on the cross to forgive my sins so I can be reconciled to you and brought into relationship with you as a son, as a daughter, in your family, in your community. Jesus, come, forgive my sins, come into my life, reconcile me to God. Third, God, I want to receive your invitation for more relationship with you. I open myself up to your spirit. Please bring me deeper and fuller into your love. Take me more into the son's relationship with the father. I want to enjoy more of your love, more of your life, more of your heart, more of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would hear these prayers as they have been spoken in different hearts in this room this morning. That you would grant forgiveness for those who have asked for forgiveness. That you would receive as your children through the blood of Jesus Christ, those who have put their faith in Christ, and that you would fill up with your Holy Spirit those who long to receive your invitation to be brought further into your heart, into your community, into your relationship.